the gradebook a tampa bay times podcast on florida education issues it's 10 30 on april 4th and i'm reporter jeff solacek today i am bringing in our tallahassee bureau reporter emily mahoney it's halfway through the legislative session in tallahassee and so we thought we'd take a chance to just look over what's been happening so far assess the lay of the land and what we see happening as we run into the home stretch toward the may 3rd end of session Education issues are, again, top of the agenda in many ways, and so we're going to jump right into this conversation and let you know where we stand. Well, Emily, it's been way too long since you've been here on the Gradebook Podcast, so I hope you've been learning a lot in Tallahassee that you can tell us about. (laughs) Definitely. Well, and thanks for having me again. It's officially the halfway point, so it seems like a good time to catch up. Absolutely. I am excited to talk about the legislature because I've been watching it so long, I need to let some of it out of my head. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you must feel even more that way because you're like right there in the mix of the whole thing. Yesterday was like huge. You had all these people there. They were all there for one reason and they didn't even get to hear it. Talk about it. Right. So a bunch of students, about 150 students um, from around the state, including a bus of students from Tampa, um, all came up to the Capitol and they were all part of the March for Our Lives movement, which of course is the kind of activism movement started by the Parkland students after the shooting there last year. And they had all come up into, in, in anticipation of a floor debate in the House of uh, the bill that would allow classroom teachers to be eligible for the Guardian program and thus be eligible to carry guns um, to defend students in the event of a shooting. Let me ask you right there. I've heard that people say that that is already allowed to some extent. Is that not correct? It is allowed, um, and it's just a question of whether the teacher uh, exclusively performs classroom duties. That's the phrasing that's currently in the law that was passed last year. Uh, so if a, if a teacher is also a coach, uh, they would be eligible for the Guardian program already, um, which is interesting because that provision exclusively perform classroom duties was added in last year as kind of a an olive branch um, to help assuage the fears of a lot of lawmakers, including a lot of Democrats who were just highly uncomfortable with the idea of arming teachers. And so this, when it was proposed last year, it was kind of um, a compromise that would be seen as, look, you know, we're not going to have all teachers carrying guns. This is mostly aimed at coaches and counselors and admin. Um, and of course, this year, they're trying to expand that Guardian program, um, a, a lot of which is due to the fact that the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission, um, led by Sheriff Galtieri, recommended that they do that. And so they're looking at doing that this year. Um, you know, they're saying that some teachers can already participate, which is accurate, but this would allow any classroom teacher to, to participate, regardless if they coach on the side or not. And this is all in a school district that agrees to do this. And that's why 
the legislators are saying that it might be okay because you could be in a school district and there are a growing number of them, Hillsboro, Sarasota, Leon. They're saying we don't want to have teachers with guns in our schools and they would not be required to under this law either way if it were to pass, right? Correct. Right. No teacher would ever be required to carry a gun. It's uh, voluntary for the district and it's voluntary for the teachers who want to volunteer to go through this training um, so that they would be able to have a gun in their classroom. Uh, but what the students, you know, the students who came up made the point that it's not optional for students. And, you know, they said that they were uncomfortable with the idea of having a teacher that would be armed, especially because one of kind of the main operating principles of this program is that they would not, they would be anonymous and that's by design so that theoretically a shooter wouldn't know which teacher was armed and which teacher was not. And so, uh, you know, this is all very heated. It's all very emotional. It comes from, you know, this is all stemmed from the tragedy last year, which is still, you know, a highly charged issue. So all these students came up to Tallahassee yesterday to hear this debate of this very, controversial bill on the floor. And shortly before the debate was scheduled to happen, uh, we got notice that a slew of bills that included this uh, school safety bill were all being TP'd or temporarily postponed by the House because they're having an ongoing disagreement with the Senate over how to include policy language in budget negotiations. It's all very technical. Um, and whether or not policy bills should be allowed to be in conforming bills. Um, and so a bunch of, uh, like I said, a bunch of bills all got temporarily postponed. We think they might come back up next week if the chambers can kind of work out this disagreement. Can we, but, can we stop and say what bills were all postponed and what this disagreement really means? Sure. So... I mean, there there was a, a a good list of them. The ones that I was really paying closely attention to was the school safety bill and also uh, kind of the big voucher bill for this year, which would create the family empowerment scholarships. Um, and so <laughs> those were the two big education ones. I know that there were plenty of others as well. But basically, this disagreement boils down to the House wanting to include big policy ideas like the two I just mentioned in conforming bills, which means that they would be taking these policy ideas into budget conference and talking about them alongside budget numbers because they say that, you know, there is money attached to these ideas. We have to pay for them. So it all needs to be part of that same conversation. Does that um, not mean that there's no amendments on the floor? Correct. And so that's kind of the big catch here is that, you know, when you have a conforming bill, yes, a lot of times it is because there is a budget piece attached to it. But the flip side is that it's only an up or down vote. You can only vote against it or for it. And uh, you can't amend that bill on the floor, which makes debating it a little bit more difficult, especially because these bills are pretty different between the House and the Senate. And so that could be where the Senate is coming from when they say they don't want these to be conforming bills. They want a chance to be able to um, to make sure that they can that people can amend the House version um, so that so that they can work out some of these differences. I don't know. It's it's very technical and it's it's very interesting that this debate between how much policy should be in budget, I, you know, I've been told is kind of an ongoing thing that happens every session and just kind of depends on who the leadership is. Well, we have seen it happen in the past and we've seen a lot of pushback against it. 
especially among certain lawmakers who think that it's just not the proper way to do business. I mean, why do you need to have lawmakers in Tallahassee if they're just going to throw everything together, give it to a chairman and say, tell us what we need to vote on? But... uh Right. And of course, the other point is that budget conferencing, much of it happens behind closed doors. Um, so th- there would be discussions about some of this stuff that wasn't on the floor and having conforming bills, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that would mean that some of that discussion would not happen out on the floor as well. Right, Jeff? Yeah. And we know that there wants to be a lot of discussion. I think there were I didn't count them, but it looked like a whole large number of amendments just on the House side alone, people wanting to try and get things changed. Yeah, there's 48 of them. 48, so a couple more than a couple dozen. And, and the thing that's really interesting about this is that unlike the past few years, the leadership did not make any secrets about what they were trying to accomplish this year. They put their big ideas out in front after the governor even released his own personal versions of what he'd like to see happen. And they've been pretty upfront. This is what we want to see done. And then to see the two chambers debate over it after President Galvano basically said, hey, we're going to not just accept something because it's out there. We're going to think about it. It was a really interesting turn of events from the past couple of years where it just seemed like things got jammed down people's throats at the last minute. Yeah, it's definitely kind of the first sign of disagreement between the chambers, at least when it comes to like an actual, you know, of course they have disagreements when it comes to certain policies, but this is the first time where we're really seeing like the process break down in some kind of way where things are pretty much on hold um, until they work this out. So this is the, the first kind of the first big grinding to a halt that we've seen. So uh, otherwise, things have been running pretty pretty quickly and pretty smoothly this session. That's true. I've seen a lot of bills just soar through where debate is just sort of, oh, yeah, that's really nice. Thanks for bringing that forward. And then they just move on and say all in favor. And usually they're all in favor. Even some of the Democrats who you thought might fight them, they say, well, I don't really like this, but I can see where this train is going. So I'm just going to hop on board. Mm-hmm. So, but what about the budget? You mentioned the budget and there is a big dispute over not just the how do we include policy in the budget, but the budget numbers themselves. What are you seeing there? It's higher ed and K-12, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, it's important to keep in mind that at this stage, you know, each chamber by the end of the day today will um, have approved their individual budgets proposed by their chambers. Uh, And so, as always, it's important to note that some of this is what they actually want to see, and some of this is posturing as they go into budget conference and they want to... It's the beginning of negotiations, and so some of it, I think, is... Um, exaggerated in terms of numbers because they're going to try to make deals. But in education, we've seen some pretty huge disparities, um, both in K-12 and higher ed, between the House and the Senate. And frankly, between uh, what Governor DeSantis has proposed. And I mean, basically, the House is lower on almost all the major top line numbers um, because Jose Oliva, the House Speaker, has said that he wants to uh, reduce per capita spending and that he wants a very fiscally tight budget. Uh, Meanwhile, the Senate has proposed pretty meaty increases 
in the FEFP, the per student funding and the base student allocation, um, and wants to increase university spending, base budget university spending by quite a bit. Meanwhile, the House wants to decrease base university spending by 2.4%, which is which is a pretty substantial number when you think about it. And we're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cuts um, to various university programs. And um, so there's there's going to be a lot of <laughs> there's going to have to be a lot of negotiation there. I'm having a real hard time thinking about them cutting the university's budgets by that large amount because these are economic drivers in their communities and they employ lots of people. There are lots of people who go to school there, obviously. And and I just can't imagine that they don't have their political interests and their power people who are going to say, hey, you know, you can't do this. Yeah, it's it's definitely still a question mark. As I said, nothing is settled yet. Um, and so a lot of people are just kind of waiting to see how this shakes out before anybody really uh, starts to sound the alarm on some of these cuts. But, um, you know, what, what's interesting is one of the cuts that the House has proposed in higher ed spending is a $20 million uh, reduction in university preeminence funding, which is something that uh, the Senate has really, especially Senate President Bill Galvano, has really kind of fought, um, has fought for as a policy issue. He's very passionate about about university scholarships and, and preeminence. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see what actually happens here. Um, as you said, I think I think some of this may not be realistic, but um, but it's certainly a, a strong position from the House in saying that um, uh, even Oliva has said before that he thinks that universities, you know, they're driving up student debt. They are they have lots of money that they've been carrying over from year to year, and it's time to kind of trim some of the fat. It's interesting also in the K-12 budget, you ta- you mentioned an increase in the FEFP, a larger one in the Senate than in the House, but a lot of that is just sweeping money from one place to another. This best and brightest scholarship or bonus or whatever we're calling it now, they've changed the definition of it, and they're moving it into that out of a general appropriation. And so that kind of makes it look like there's a lot more money being spent than there might actually be coming into the to, to the pot. Is that not correct, or am I am I completely missing the boat on that? No, that's definitely true, and um, especially because you know one of the big major changes this year is the fact that they're proposing the new voucher, the Family Empowerment Scholarship, be funded out of the FEFP. So we also have to take that into consideration uh, that there's you know a few million tucked in into that increase that would go to this particular program. And so that's why, you know, I think the base student allocation is still um, a good way, a good piece to look at. Um, But even still, I mean, you and I wrote a lot last year about how the base student allocation was increased last year by 47 cents, uh, which is a, a number that upset a lot of school superintendents. They asked for a special session over it for lawmakers to go back and put more money in that piece, because that, of course, is the the most flexible area of funding that the districts kind of have to play with. And um, this year, the Senate has proposed a $149 increase in the base student allocation, uh, and the House is about uh, $38. So both are higher than last year. Of course, that, there's a pretty big difference between those two. So we'll just have to wait and see. It was interesting to hear uh, Representative Latvala, the chairman of the House Education pre-K-12 Appropriations Committee, uh, he was asked at one point why 
is that such a huge difference? And he just basically answered, well, that's the way we've decided we want to do it. And so it's just, I wonder how the debate is going to happen among the lawmakers between the two chambers, if that's what the answer is during debate for the House right. itself. Right. Well, and I think, you know, we can get down in the weeds as much as we want, but what I see in these two budgets really are the difference in philosophy that the House and the Senate has. Um, like I said before, the House Speaker, Jose Oliva, is really passionate about just complete fiscal conservatism, keeping things very tight, trimming the fat in any place that he can, and really reducing spending in any place that he can. And one opportunity I think he sees for that is in higher education and universities and construction for new buildings and at um, at different campuses and things like that. And meanwhile, the Senate is um, – President Galvano has talked a lot about how he wants to make sure that we're adequately funding public schools while we're also funding these different vouchers and school choice programs, that he's very passionate about school funding. And he's also always been very passionate about higher ed and universities. And so they – you know, I think that's part of where those big increases are coming from. So – it's it's a difference in numbers, but it's also just a difference in, in thought process and approach. That's a very good point, and I'm glad that you made it. I am thinking also about all of these bills. I mean, because there are so many of them. I don't want to talk about each of them individually, but we're seeing some move quickly and some are have already reached the end of their rope as committees are starting to wind down. So some of the high-profile bills, and by that I mean probably the ones that we paid attention to because they catch our eye, um, are starting to go away. And one of them was this whole thing we paid attention to and the, the requiring of public high schools to teach the Bible as an elective course. And that doesn't seem to be moving anymore. It seems to be assigned to a committee that's not going to meet again. There's no Senate uh, companion bill to it. And that's just one of the bills that seems to be you know, hovering out there possibly on life support. But surprisingly also is the financial literacy bill, which seems to have been moving through the Senate very nicely. It just got up, amended in the Rules Committee uh, yesterday to be very close to the House version, but the House version is assigned to a committee that's not planning to meet again. What do we make of things like this? Well, like you said, it's it's always impossible to say that something is dead because you never know when something could be plucked out of committee or added as an amendment to something else. But uh so, you know, it's always a moving target, but I think that, you know, it's important, like you said, to pay attention to some of these bills that originally had steam and now have have lost it because um if they are assigned to a committee that's not gonna meet again, then you know, that doesn't that doesn't look too good and I think life support's a good way to describe it. So I guess I was mostly surprised about financial literacy because everybody wanted to pay recognition and honor to Senator Dorothy Huckel, who passed away in the fall and had championed this for six years, six failed years, I might add, because she could never get it to the finish line and she really wanted to. Now that she's passed away, I get, people really wanted to to say like, hey, maybe we were wrong, we should have done this, but they seem not getting there quite yet. Yeah, that's always been an interesting bill to me because it's not really a controversial topic at all. I think a lot of people agree that we should be teaching students how to balance checkbooks and manage budgets and things like that, which is what that bill would do. But for some, for whatever reason, it always seems to kind of be left by the wayside. So it, it could be the case again this year. So we have another half of a session to go. What is your prediction for, you know, top line stuff? 
what should we really be paying attention to and and where should our eyes be placed well i think that it's it's uh, definitely fair to say that the two biggest education bills, the ones that we've been talking about the most, uh, which are the the school safety bill that would allow cl- all classroom teachers to be uh, participating in the Guardian program, and the new voucher bill that funds that new family empowerment scholarship out of the per student FEFP, which is a pretty big deal. Um, those two bills, you know, they're most likely going to pass. They have the support of how house leadership, Senate leadership. They have the support of Governor DeSantis. And, um, you know, as much as the debate is going to be lively, it's going to be passionate. The teachers union will, is going to protest. There's going to be March for Our Lives students probably maybe coming, even coming back up for that, uh, school safety bill when it does come back up. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the Republicans do seem to have the votes for both of those things. So, um, you know, I think it's that's that's definitely my prediction there. And when it comes to some of this other stuff and the budget, that's a little bit harder to know. Um, but uh, we'll definitely be paying close attention to how all of that shakes out. Well, I sure hope that the students come back and pay attention to that bill that they wanted to be there for, because it's really hard I guess, to vote for something when you have people who are so adamantly opposed and their kids standing there cheering against you. And so, I mean, I know there was some speculation that maybe that's why they TP'd the bills. They say that's not true, but still the optics are there. Um, I think that also the teachers, it will be really interesting to see if anybody does anything to get them money that's repeating, recurring money into their salaries as we're talking about trying to keep the best and brightest teachers here. Bonuses don't come every single year. Bonuses don't help with the pensions and bonuses don't necessarily attract people that we want to have in there as teachers are telling us over and over again. And instead, the legislature continues to go with this bonus idea as well as just saying like, well, maybe we should just change the certification process a little bit to make it a little easier to become a teacher. We have lots of people who are teachers in Florida but don't want to be teachers because of the conditions and all those things that are happening as opposed to just a test so that they probably could pass by the way so i i just think that those will be some issues that maybe won't get as much attention because they're not as high priority as the as the others but they need some attention as well because at some point we're going to have to do something to make sure that teachers stay and teach our kids right definitely yeah the teacher shortage is an underlying theme of of nearly every education bill um and so i don't expect that to to change well emily i think that's as good a place as any to stop i mean we could talk about bills upon bills but like you said there's still a lot of of wiggle room and things we don't know so let's just wait and see and catch back up in a couple of weeks Definitely. Well, and as you and I both know, the second we're technically halfway through the session, but the second half tends to be a lot more intense. So <laughs> there's still a lot of sessions still to go. And uh, hopefully next time I talk to you, I won't be completely sleep deprived, but I predict that that will probably be the case. Probably will. I hope you have lots of coffee or whatever you need to keep you awake. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to chime in with your views, we'd like to hear them. Go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, where this podcast will be posted and put in your comments right underneath. We'd like to know what you're thinking. 
To keep up on the latest in Florida education breaking news, please keep going to our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. I've been told that you need to put a little slash at the end after gradebook. I didn't know that until just yesterday. So if it's not working without it, try it and see how it goes. Please keep on sending your ideas for this podcast. We've gotten some good interview subjects as a result of that. Share it with your friends. And we want to know what you think through the reviews as well on iTunes. If you would share those with us, we'd appreciate it. It makes it easier for other people to find as well. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 